We're going to jump into the Word of God as it's uh, reflected in the Bible book of Amos. And I have to say, I'm grateful uh, to the Lord and also for the leading of the Holy Spirit as we prepare our messages because Amos is dealing with the very things that we deal with. He's dealing with evil and justice and problems within society and calling the people of God to respond accordingly. The title of the sermon series, again, is Woke, but today I want to talk about an interesting thing. I was thinking of maybe switching sermons. I have one prepared for next week, and I thought, well, let me switch them up and let me kind of go on the lighter side in light of things that have gone on. But I thought, no, the Word of God is the Word of God. We don't want to mix it. We don't need to slice it and dice it to make us feel emotionally better. The Word of God is meant to get into the depths of us. And so today, as I speak to you, In this concept of what we refer to as wokeness within our society, I do need to touch on something that Amos talked about. Our friendly neighborhood farmer, he had grit. He had clothes that smelled like sheep and hands that smelled like figs, but he had a mouth that knew how to prophesy like no one's business. And in that, Amos touched on an issue that we think sometimes is far removed from us in Western society. And that is the issue of idolatry. We think it's far away from me. It doesn't happen in Western culture. Well, maybe we don't have statues set up. And maybe we don't have these places of worship set up. But it is something that goes deep into the heart of each and every person. Because God doesn't only look at the outside. He looks at the inside. And so one standard that I think that we need to dive into more And this is really, on the one end, like an encouragement. On the other end, it really is an admonition. It's kind of like, I mean business when I say this. The word of God needs to be central in our lives again. Come on. And I know that Bible reading for many or reading in general is like, I don't feel like it. I don't have the time. Like, as an American culture, we have no excuse. We've got Bibles galore. Every translation you can imagine, we've got audio, we've got music, we've got everything you can think of, and this is not to rain down, but if you do not have the word of God rooted and embedded in you, you are going to be led astray with all kinds of things, because it's not my words that have power. It is not supposed to be the words of other people that give you like secondhand information. The Bible is your firsthand line of defense to deal with all of the things that are going on in the world around us. And so that is the standard that we base everything on. Why do I make it a point to say this? Because we live in a society that values feelings. I feel. Yeah, I feel this or that. And sometimes in certain situations, and I'm like scratching my head because I'm thinking like, wow, we've really lost our marbles as a society that we don't go to a court of law anymore and say, these are the facts. People actually say, this is my feeling. And really, feelings are important, but feelings never trump the word of God. Feelings never come before the word of God. And why? Why is this important? Because the Bible says in the book of Psalms, God says in the book of Psalms, not only the Bible, he says, I have placed my word above my very name. Now, we know that the name of God is important. None of us would argue that. But he places his word above his name. And his word is relevant. It is powerful. 
It is corrective, it is healing to every culture, every people, every generation. It is not up to us to remove the parts we do not like. It is not up to us to base the way that we live on the way that society lives. And today, we're, gonna, we're, we're jumping in full force. So let's get ready for this. Because if we try to act like the people of Israel and say, idolatry is far from us, sometimes we are mistaken. As a pastor, I can really tell you, be very careful, because I can tell by the way that people act and react, sometimes even on the way that they pray, I know what has captured their heart. And idolatry is a matter of the heart. Francis Frangipane describes it for us as Westerners in the following terminology. Regarding idolatry, he says, if we exalt money, status, or sex above the word of God, we are living in idolatry. Every time we inwardly submit to the strongholds of things like fear, bitterness, and pride, we are bowing to the rulers of darkness. Each of these idols must be smashed, splintered, and obliterated from the landscape of our hearts. Let me reread that last sentence again. Each of these idols must be smashed, splintered, and obliterated from the landscape of our hearts. This poignant, personal message that our friendly farmer is trying to get across to us is who owns your heart? Who is the person who captures your imagination, who rules your thought life, and who has the depths of your emotions, and because of that, causes you to act upon them. If you think this is only an Old Testament issue, let's look at the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 through 16. We don't get our friendly farmer, we get a stinky fisherman. He says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know better then, meaning in your old life before Jesus. But now in your new life with Jesus, you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says, you must be holy because I am holy. These are the words that the American church has come to not like anymore. These are the words of the Western church that we, we don't want to hear that anymore. Be holy because I am holy. Well, that's not fair. That's a standard that I cannot live up to. But the God of the Bible from the very beginning, tracing it from the old all the way through the New Testament, guess what he is? Holy. And when we say we are made in his image, what we are declaring is that we are to be holy as he is holy. And none of us is capable of that in and of our own strength. But thank God for Jesus, who gave us through his death, burial, and resurrection the very holiness that you and I need to live a godly life. We have all that we need. Do you believe that? 
The Bible says, let it be done to you according to your faith. So if we genuinely believe, I'm a sinner, I'm a horrible sinner, and I'm gonna keep living a sinful, horrible, decrepit lifestyle, guess what? That is the life you will live. But if you believe in the power of Jesus, if you believe that the Holy Spirit gives you all that you need to live a godly life, guess what you are not anymore? You are no longer powerless. You have everything you need to live a godly life. And my objective as a pastor is to tell you when other people say, oh, no, you can't. Because of your life, your past, your background, you're not able to do that. No, my job is to tell you, yes, you can. Yes, you can. You can do all things through the power of Christ working in and through your life. You are a new creation. And so because of that, we can say goodbye to the things that once held us. We don't need to creep back to them as believers anymore. And if we have this morning, I wanna help you get from the place of no longer letting your heart and imagination and thoughts be captured by the wrong things. I pray that you would be fully captivated by the love, the grace, and mercy of Jesus. So our friendly farmer Amos has a few warnings for us. And he's got some fun things to tell the people of Israel that they are not waiting for. The very first lesson that our friendly farmer wants to say to us this morning is, do not align yourselves with people who do not align with God's word. Oh, but pastor, we're supposed to like everyone. I'm not saying don't love people. I'm just saying when people do not align with the word of God, you do not align yourself with them. And that seems hard. That even seems to some people like almost like cultish, yeah? I'm not telling you to be uniform like a bunch of clones in the world. I am telling you to live biblically, asking you to live biblically. And what that means is you are gonna live different than our society around us. The Bible tells us very clearly, bad company corrupts good character. We are easily influenced. All of us, if we are not careful, succumb to peer pressure. Thank God that Amos did not succumb to any peer pressure. In Amos chapter 7, verse 11, he goes as far to speak out a word against the king of the northern kingdoms, Jeroboam. It says this in Amos 7, 11. Sounds like a good name for a store. For this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. These words were spoken out by someone, it was a man in leadership that was kind of surrounding Jeroboam the king. Jeroboam, in the eyes of the Israelites, was a great leader. He had led them into prosperity in a grand old time. They were as happy as all get out. Everything's going just great. And the prophet dared to speak up against this. As the other prophets were prophesying life and goodness, Amos stood up and he dared to declare a word of the Lord to the very king and he spoke to his assistant and he said to him, things are not gonna go well for Jeroboam. Even though we live in comfort and consumerism, guess what? His end is drawing near. And why did the prophet prophesy these things? because Jeroboam allowed idolatry and a passive understanding of how the poor, the widow, the needy were treated. And so because the king was like, I'm not even concerned about those things, the prophet declared to him, your end 
is drawing near. What lesson can we learn from this as believers in the United States? Well, get ready for a very big lesson, and please listen to what I am saying. Do not overlook the faults of someone's leadership because they bring about expansion and wealth. Biggest mistake of Israel. We're doing great. Our vineyards are full. Our treasuries have tons of money, and we're gaining new ground. That is not an excuse to forgive ungodliness and sin. See, we like that. Whether we realize that or not, as an American culture, we love those moments. We, we want to be more powerful. We want to be more wealthy, don't we? When our economy seems to fail, when we feel like in our military force, we're not doing what we should. Oh, even though we have the strongest economy in the world and we have the largest military humanity has ever seen, we still are insecure. We've got issues. Come on. We need to learn to trust in the Lord as our provider. We need to learn to trust in the Lord as our protector. And why do we need that? Because the days that are about to encroach upon us as time goes on, we need to be sure of two vital things. The Lord is my provider and the Lord is my protector. With the things that are to come, the American dollar will not help you. With the things that are to come, you could have an army 10 times the size of our army. It is not going to help you. And that is the very message that Amos speaks to the people of Israel, and his message hopefully resounds in us today. Well, how do we speak to that? What do we do with that? I don't care if we're talking about an employer, a pastor, an educator, whoever it might be in our society. Do not become their cheerleader because you're getting consumerism, money, and power. Yeah? If there is sin in their life and there is evil, we have a God-given responsibility to call that on the carpet. What do we do in evangelical Pentecostal Christianity? We see great churches and great leaders, and then there's sin and there are things in their life, and we're just like, he's still preaching good. The worship's amazing. We have deceived ourselves. Now, I want to draw a little distinction here because I'm the pastor of why. We've had people in our churches before, they think they're like the modern-day prophets, and they don't understand the difference between, if I am sinning as your leader and you know that, you can call that out, please. Like, by all means, do so. But there are people that I say it's preference and not sin, like I move pew A from A to B, and they want to make that a biblical matter. That's not in the Bible. You can't find it anywhere. Yeah, there are people that think that they're prophets because they call out obvious situations that are, that are opinionated. No, I'm talking about sin. Genuine sin in the life of people. Their expansion, their wealth, their leadership is never an excuse for poor behavior. Can we get that into our skulls as Americans? I hope so. Let's jump on the second thing that the prophet says. I hope you have your seatbelt on. He says, do not value the things that our society values just because it's popular secular or popular Christian opinion. Oh, but everyone's going in this direction. All of my friends believe this way, and even within a church, if, if the majority is saying it and they're doing it, we are going along with that. Like, why are we being a creature of habit? If we were to compare ourselves to any animal in the animal kingdom as Christians, do you know what we're supposed to be? We're supposed to be like salmon swimming upstream. 
against the current. We are people of the word of God. What makes us separate and holy is because we live beyond the ways of this world. We live beyond the opinions that are good public opinions. We live beyond the opinions that have become American Christian culture. I don't want to be an American Christian. I want to be a biblical Christian. Come on. That is our objective. And what if that speaks against all of the things around us? Well, it looks like you're going to have a pretty rough life. What happened with popular opinion in the scripture? Well, in 1 Kings chapter 12, we see in verse 28 what Amos was up against as he was prophesying against the popular will and opinion of his time. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 28. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. This is Jeroboam. He said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up at Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. See, popular opinion in the time of Jeroboam was the people of Israel had gotten far away from Yahweh, the great I am. They wanted a God that they could see and touch and that catered to their emotional needs. They wanted a God that felt not only their sin, but also allowed it. Popular opinion. All of Israel's doing it. I remember growing up. I remember trying to get away with that one and even my siblings with my mother when we wanted to do the wrong thing, but everyone else is doing it. Their parents let them do it. My mom said, good, you can go live with them. Go live with them. Yeah, but mom, their parents, she goes, yeah, their parents do not care about them. When your parents tell you to be home at a certain time, it's because they care about you. Parents that don't care about you, they let you do whatever you want. Oh, you want a drink? I'm going to drink with you. Our society is so crooked, you have parents blowing joints with their teenagers. Like, what is wrong with you? Tapped. And because they're tapped, they make their kids tapped. Well, oh, drugs are okay in our society. No, they're not. We have normalized the most abnormal of behaviors and been told we need to accept that. Oh, it's all okay. Oh, it's okay to, for people to be driving cars high as kites so they can kill other people. That's normal? If that is normal, check me out today. Come on. See, we don't understand sin leads to degradation. Sin leads to deterioration. And this is not just Christian opinion. My wife will tell you, when she studied at the university in Amsterdam, as secular as all get out, even her professor that was not a believer said, the decisions of people, hippies, in the 1960s caused tons of psychological problems in their children. His practice was booming from kids that grew up where drugs and having sex with whoever you want was the most normal thing in the world. And everyone said, oh, this is love, love, love. He said, I beg to differ. This is dysfunction, dysfunction, dysfunction. Secular man, not a believer. Those were his words to a classroom of 300 students. I don't want to hear these things are only Christian. No, we have civilized society. We have normal society. We have boundaries. We live in a society, people don't want boundaries anymore either. 
Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to say. Don't tell me how to act. But when the way you do say and act affects my life, oh, I will tell you. I have boundaries in my life, and I have them to live a healthy, happy life. Come on. The prophet said the following. As he was speaking out against things, what were the idols that they were up against? And just briefly, just to name three stupid idols that were set up in Israel, the first one was Asherah, the goddess of sexuality. If you were to see the monuments that were set up to honor her, you would be ashamed. You'd blush. But it wasn't only the monument, it was the sexual acts that took place to honor her. But we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't do anything like that. Oh, yes, we do. You just don't have to go to a statue to do it anymore. But what about Anath, the god of war? And what about Baal, the god of the weather? See, these are things that get our concern. And again, there's nothing wrong with watching the news, but our news pumps this into us each and every day. Problems of war and murder and violence and weather, and they try to get you. They try to get you to fear so that you'll put your heart and your emotions and your stock into it. And if you say this doesn't affect the church, oh, it does. I can tell as a church how we've been reacting just by who watches the news or not. There are people that are so obsessed with evil that when they pray, the prayers aren't even normal. They do more praying against demons. They pray more to demons than they do to Jesus. Come on. I'm sorry. I believe in the God of the Bible. He is strong, he is powerful, and guess what? He stands above sexuality, he stands above war, and just for us New Englanders, he stands above our weather. When anything in life is an absolute requirement for your happiness and self-worth, it is essentially an idol, something that you are actually worshiping. And I need us to get this into our head. When our day is determined by what the weather is, when our day is determined by our physical relationships with people, when our day is determined by if we have peace or war, we are not in the right place. Even David cries out in the Psalms, and he says, even though a war break out around me, I will still praise you. Even though a war breaks out around me. We've got to get into that place where our hearts are so knit with the heart of the Lord that no matter what happens, we are willing to serve him. Tim Keller kind of gets into this emotional conundrum that we can find ourselves with, and he says the following. When such a thing is threatened, your anger is absolute, meaning when someone moves you in a way that you don't want to be moved, we get angry. He says your anger is actually the way the idol keeps you in its service and in its chains. Therefore, if you find that despite all efforts to forgive, your anger and bitterness cannot subside, you need to look deeper and ask, what am I defending? What is so important that I cannot live without? It may be that until some inordinate desire is identified and confronted, you will not be able to master your anger. See, when things get us, and we all have those moments, right? People that get you, let's be real, the comment at your work, the person driving in front of you, waiting in line at that stupid airport, customer service, your boss, your family, your children, when people get you, 
what it means is they have gotten to the seat of your emotions. And the God of the Bible constantly says that he wants to be the number one on the seat of your emotions. And when he is number one on the seat of our emotions, we can forgive, we can have joy, and we can have peace because it's not dependent on people and it is not dependent on circumstances. It is dependent on the presence of God within our lives as believers. The last thing that the prophet warns the people of Israel about is the following. He says, do not act like you are not responsible for the injustices of others. I've mentioned this the last few weeks, but I'll mention it again. Who is my brother's keeper are the famous words echoed from the Old Testament. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, and we are really good at determining who we want our neighbor to be. Amos says the following regarding this as God speaks to the people of Israel. He says in Amos 3, 1 through 2, and again, we preached on this a few weeks ago, but I'm bringing it up again on purpose. He says, listen to this message that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the entire family that I rescued from Egypt, from among all the families on earth, I have been intimate with you alone. That is why I must punish you for your sin. See, God gave us something unique. He gave Israel a unique calling, and we as the church also carry that calling on our lives. As believers, we carry it. See, we have a great calling, and with that calling comes a great responsibility. However, with all of it comes great consequences. Oh, but pastor... Everything's just great, you know, like it's all just grace and peace. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not a hippie Christian. The Bible shows clearly that there will be a day of judgment. There will be a day of reckoning, and you can read about it in the Old and New Testament. See, we, do, we like the fuzzy God, but do we like the furious God? But that's still the same God that we serve. And so in the Bible, it shows us that a day of judgment will come and God will sit upon his throne. And it talks about something great that we have. We have what's called the Lamb's Book of Life, meaning those who believe in Jesus, their names are written in his book of life. And so when you come before judgment, he's going to check to make sure your name is written in that book. And so by loving and serving Jesus, your name is in that book. But even if your name is written in that book, he says, all of humanity will stand in judgment for the idle words that they have spoken and their vain actions. No one is exempt. No one is exempt before the holiness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the only way that you and I will be saved is because of what Jesus did for us. The only way that we're getting through that judgment is because of what Jesus did for us. Oh, but there are good people. No, the Bible says there is not one righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank God for Jesus. That's why I come in and that's why I worship. That's why I love to sing worship. That's why I get souped when Pastor Noah is excited too because I'm thinking, yes, I was supposed to stand in judgment and be doomed to an eternity in hell, but because of Jesus, one day I will stand in judgment, but because of what Jesus did for me. Smooth sailing right into the kingdom of heaven. 
don't forget the injustices of the people around you. How are we supposed to act and react knowing that we bear a heavy responsibility? Amos chapter 5 verse 4 and Amos 5:14 show the following that the prophet is saying danger is about to come destruction is about to come but God always makes a way to turn the ship Bethel we're going to turn the ship we're going to turn the ship in New England you're going to turn the ship we're going to turn the ship with one another And what this means is, as Amos cries out, he tells the people about the Lord. He says, seek me that you might live. Seek Jesus that you might live. Another thing he cries out is, seek good, not evil, that you might live. Seek the Lord and do what is right. Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the city on a hill. You are a light that cannot be hidden. And he says, do your good works. Do good for people. There are people, oh, I do everything in private. No, that is false. That is a false sense of piety. Oh, I do everything in private. I don't want anyone to see. No, the Bible says, do your good works for all to see so that they glorify your Father in heaven, meaning help the widow, the orphan, the needy. Help people, let people see that you help people because they know that that is linked to the Jesus that is living inside of you. And we can turn this ship by seeking God with one another. All of the events in our society, can't you hear? Can't you hear the Spirit of God crying out to us to come deeper into his presence? Can't you hear him as he tugs on our hearts? How much more do we need? Pandemics, deaths, wars, financial problems, he's crying out. Turn to me. Seek good, not evil, that you might live. Closing are the words of Peter again. The boomerang got thrown out and it's coming back again. What does this have to do with me? I'm not some Israelite living in the time of Amos. Oh, no, but you're a believer living in the time of Jesus. So, in First Peter... Chapter 2, verse 9 through 12, Peter writes the following. And Peter keeps saying things like shepherd and sheep. Just like Amos was a sheep herder, Peter sees the church as a bunch of sheep that need to be taken care of. And he says to the people that he's writing to, but you are not like that, meaning like the world they live in. For you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I love verse 10. You once had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. You once received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. Verse 11, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war with your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Man, you gotta love these people in the Bible. Today, It's a day of reckoning. 
today is a day that if there are things that have captured our heart other than Christ himself, if there are things that have kind of taken a stronghold in your thoughts and in your actions, today is the day to bring those to Jesus and say, Lord, wipe them out. I want a clean slate today. Jesus said these things, even when he was talking on the Sermon on the Mount, he didn't talk about idols, he just knew the things that got people's heart. They were worrying about what they would eat, what they would drink, what they would wear, the basics of life. And he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things will be given unto you. Jesus has called us to live differently. He's called us to come out from among the world and live differently than they do. Not as a bunch of self-righteous, angry people, but to live in the grace and in the light of Christ and to be the salt, the light, the compassion, the hope, the generosity and hospitality in a world that is desperately in need of him. Let's stand with one another this morning. I ask the altar team kindly to come and take their place here at the front today. If anyone need prayer as I close in prayer, the altars will be open for you for any need that is going on in your life. However, honestly, if there are things that have captured you and you know those things should not have a hold on you, today's the day. Like Frangipane said, that these idols need to be smashed, splintered, and obliterated out of our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you.